Three fabulous guests on today's show, joined by Patrick Livesey and Will King, and a bit later, Beck Sandridge. But I do have Patrick <laughs> and Will in the studio. Welcome to 3CR. Hey, oh, thanks, thanks for having, having us. us. Gone Girls, you're bringing back Julia Gillard <laughs> and Julie Bishop. Do tell. Yeah. So, Gone Girls is a drag fantasy about a possible relationship between Julia Gillard and Julie Bishop during their time in politics. Wow. Yeah. That's controversial. It is. Oh, I suppose so. It's. Um. It. It came to me in 2018, right after the Lib spill, when Julie Bishop missed out on becoming prime minister. Um. And I just thought it would be funny if Julie Gillard wrote her a letter, and they kind of bonded over it, and then maybe something else happened. Who knows? Um. But then I, yeah, turned that into this kind of uh, look back at history. And it takes place in all the kind of private moments that mirror all the real moments we know. So the misogyny speech, um, the election, all those things. And then what was happening behind the scenes between these two. A rivalry initially and then it becomes something else. So Patrick, I have to say you are Julia Gillard in the production. Yes. April Larkham is uh, Julie Bishop. Yes. And you, Will King, are the co-director. That's What's right. What's that like? It's great. I mean, um, Belle and Pat are both... Oh, well. Belle's a good friend and Pat and I are a couple. So, um, you know, we spend a lot of time together, but we also have such a like shared language and it's sort of a good back and forth that I think makes it easier in the rehearsal room and building it all together. But yeah, co-director, we all sort of are directing it together. And what's it like for Annabelle playing Julie Bishop? Uh, so, I mean, Belle's great. Belle's so funny. It was so important for us. Um, well, for me, when I had this idea that um, I got someone... A, a woman to do the drag because I wanted to highlight that aspect of drag so it wasn't something that you know three or four years ago was um, was that common to see and a lot of people were like oh but that's not drag and it's like yeah it's you know Belle's putting on a wig she's putting on all this insane makeup she's donning the dress like that's as much as drag as what <laughs> I'm doing um, and it's been a really funny journey because Belle saw the initial Belle wasn't in the initial season um, but Belle is one of my closest friends and she saw the show and then afterwards I kind of put it to rest for a little bit, but then I wanted to bring it back. And then I was talking to Belle and Belle was talking about how much she loved the idea and how she had a few ideas of her own. And so, yeah, since Belle's come on board, it's really kind of avalanched into its uh, completely different thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's interesting because when I was thinking about Julie Bishop, I was thinking, look, she'd be a great character to do drag, you know. Yeah. And I was thinking of you, but I thought, no, hang on a second, faux drag, which is what Belle's doing yeah. in yeah. the role. She's a fabulous character for that because yeah. of those, you know, those big gowns. Yeah. The bow yeah. Ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. high heels, the brooches. Yeah. So much. It's so elaborate and so over the top and not what we're used to seeing from, you know, a politician like seeing some of the um, the campaigns that she's doing now. I follow her on Instagram and it's incredible. <laughs> it's high drag. <laughs> well, it really is. Yeah. And in actual fact, the fashion that she's doing very much is almost faux drag itself. Yeah. And she's in the news, of course, of at course. the moment. Yes. Yes, she is. Yeah. Um, David really wanted to get in and just <laughs> let the world know that he broke up with her. <laughs> Look, I've got to say, of course, just focusing on Julia Gillard, I mean, the, yeah. the country's first female prime minister, an incredibly historic figure. Yeah. And uh, that misogyny speech went went viral. Tell us how you incorporate that into Gone Girls. 
Yeah, so we use the, obviously that moment was such a centerpiece of the um, show, and I don't want to give too much about away, but we really do give it the time and space that it deserves, and we allow Julia herself. We project that, and that's kind of has its own little moment. Uh, but that was kind of the joy. That's where this show came from for me, because I, I will admit I'm not the biggest Julie Bishop fan. I wasn't when I started the show. I just thought she was an interesting character. Um, but Julia Gillard was someone that I always looked up to right from, you know, 2007, that election. My family loved Julia Gillard. We're always like, no, let Julia speak, Kevin. Yeah. Move aside. <laughs> and eventually she became prime minister and um, it was very exciting. And I, I just wanted to reflect on her experience um, because it was so horrible. And it's funny because we did this show first in 2019 and, for some, oh, for a bunch of reasons, it's been brought back, brought back into the media in the last like year or two. Kind of the treatment of female politicians in Australia, mm. but at the time, I really wanted people to remember the things she was called and the way she was treated and the stories that were run about her in like women's magazines. Just the the venom towards her. I wanted to do a show where not only we could remember those things and take note of that, but then flip that on its head and give the story its own its own spin well that's a lot of energy for you to harness as a director how exciting so exciting i mean that's that's what's been fun so far is just balancing um a challenge as well is, is balancing how awful some of the things that happened to her were but also um you know the show is a comedy and, it, and it's it's draggy and it's hilarious um but it also has so much heart and our a little, I don't know, can I say this? There's the concession um, speech is yes. a sort of a central part of the show as yeah, well. Yeah, when Julia lost the prime ministership, she made a yeah very beautiful speech. Yeah, and I think that's probably the, the key to the show's success um, is is the way it is. It is really funny, but it has, yeah, it has so much heart. And the love that I think the show has for Julia is so, you know, central. And you really queerify them both, not just with the drag, but with this relationship. Well, I'll let you answer that. Back. Yeah, I don't want to give too no, much away there. But it's, yeah, there's definitely um, queer undertones to the entire thing. And we have a lot of fun with that, playing with the audience's expectations of will they, won't they. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's right, right up until the end. And um, the grief and loss sounds really interesting in terms of Julia losing the prime ministership as well. Mm. Um, it sounds like it's a bit of a, uh, an emotional roller coaster for you playing her with those highs and lows, especially with that connection that you already had with her going into the role. It actually is for, for Belle and I because not it's drag, so we um, have the ability to go so far with it, but then we're also really playing these characters for the truth of it and they rose to the highest heights and then were both dropped from them. So there's just so much drama there, just the heartbreak involved, the betrayal involved in it. Um, it just makes for really great storytelling. Well, and what's, I think, so special about this script as well is the way it incorporates, you know, r real things that were said and even recordings of real stuff um, throughout the media and the way that's incorporated. It's often just so hard to believe that some of it is real and that some of it was said and it can be so heartbreaking and we get little glimpses of, you know, Julia's real voice speaking about what happened and, and some of the things that were, you know, used against her. It's, it's hard to believe, really. And you've got the historical prism, if you like. You're looking back on stuff that happened to them if it happened now it wouldn't be it was never acceptable but but I think possibly it would have been easier for both women if it happened now because there would have been more people speaking out saying no this is wrong but in actual fact at the time not enough did 
Yeah. No, no, no one. It's um, I'm sure there were a few people, but you you had Jermaine Greer on Q and A, um, telling her she had a fat ass. Like, <laughs> it was just unbelievable how far we've come as a culture. Just the things that we now realize are just not okay. And I'm sure so many people were just laughing along because they didn't know what else to do. Not much closer to having another female PM though. <laughs> yeah. No, that still feels yeah very far away. Yeah. Have you reached out to uh, Julie Bishop and Julia Gillard about this production, either for the research or just to let them know, hey, we're doing this, do you want to come along and see it? Um, Julia is, I mean, they're both very busy, but Julia is, um, when we started doing the show, was still uh, head of um, the King's College Women in Leadership Institute um, in the UK. So she was unavailable for comment or participation, unfortunately. Um, but we did invite her to this season. But yeah, she's just so busy. However, Julie Bishop's niece came to the show in Adelaide and absolutely loved it. And Julie Bishop then tweeted our trailer, um, which was very exciting. And we've had some of Penny Wong's staff come to the show and they absolutely loved it too. <laughs> That's really interesting. So Julie Bishop has acknowledged the production yeah. and Julia Gillard hasn't. I wonder well, Julia's, why that Ju- is. Julia's acknowledged it. Um, she, she knows we exist and she's given us all the best, but I think her, <laughs> her schedule won't allow for it. <laughs> so how do you handle references to people like Tony Abbott and Kevin Rudd in this production? Well, I think we've, the whole thing is very... We're holding um, an element of everything is tongue in cheek, but then everything is also taken seriously. And we're holding those two very equally. So that, and that goes for the women themselves. So obviously some people need to be um, made the enemy and we do make them the enemy when the story suits, but we're also not saying that these two characters were perfect um, and that they did everything right. And I think that is where the complexity and the intrigue of the story comes into play. How do you excavate these two characters um, for dramatic purposes, but also for historical purposes? How do you look at what mistakes they made and say, you know, it wasn't all perfect. The misogyny doesn't mean the misogyny speech has any less significance, but it doesn't mean that Julia Gillard was this perfect feminist that always did the right thing. Mm. So, Will, how do you direct those mistakes? I mean, it's always about leading with love, I think. Like you just, you look at what what happened and and why those things might have happened and just trying to be, you know, ha- have a, a lens of like kindness and understanding that there's like always more to the story. Um, but it's also just dramatic. Like th- those those mistakes are interesting dramatically and they, they can make something funny. They can make something sad. Um, and, and a lot of them are, you know, things that really happen. So it's kind of, um, it's, it's kind of great to get to dive into them, I think. Mm. Your last production was very recent, Dirt at Chapel Off Chapel. It was a a, a production that you both starred in. Yeah. Uh, You're a real-life couple. You played uh, a Russian and Australian in Moscow. It was a real thriller. But now you're in this fascinating situation where one of you is acting and one of you is (laughs) co-directing. Will, what's that like? I mean, it, it's great. It's uh, our relationship has always been around our work. Like we've we've sort of helped each other with auditions, and like we, we met auditioning for the same project, actually. Um, and so it's always this been no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not for dirt. for um for a project from 2018, um, Strangers in Between by Tommy Murphy, a great play, um, which I ended up doing. I won the role, and Whatever. Patrick didn't. <laughs> but that's how we met. Um, and then we, yeah, we've, you know, been together ever since, but because of that, it's sort of been a central part of our relationship the whole time is like also working together on each other's like 
roles and helping each other with our work and talking about it. Like it's just been such a big part of our relationship. So it's kind of like a natural extension. Mm. And to be honest, like because, you know, Patrick is Patrick created the show and um, they and and Belle are writing the show. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm this outside eye and I am like co-directing, but it's it's very collaborative. So it's, it's not like my way or the highway by any means. But do you find, Will, that you look at them both and you go, well, hang on a second, I would play Julia like this. <laughs> I, what I, is this? <laughs> I would play Julie like that. Yeah. Do you find yourself doing that? Well, I guess that's... I, I feel like maybe that is... This is me talking as an actor more than a director. I feel like that's kind of the, what directors do is you kind of like... You see yourself and, and what you see in the role is how you sort of tend to... Uh, what you tend to push people towards. But I think it's about there being... Um, a conversation with that. I also have no talent for impersonation whatsoever. So <laughs> I just I just look at them with, you know, big impressed eyes. And we that's been a big part of the collaboration with Will is trying to fine tune the tone of the show because mm. it started with me doing an impersonation of Julia Gillard, but then you brought in all of this real human emotional stuff and suddenly it's like, okay, well it's it's not drag anymore. It's it's acting, but mm. there are still really high camp, high comedy moments. So I think we've all been figuring out together how to hold all of that at the same time. And it's I pretty th- it's pretty unique. And I think it's like it's at its, you know, most watchable and, and funniest when it's got like, you know, a, a real moment to moment thing between it. Like the way we work is we, we try not to like figure out the jokes and hit them out the same way every time. Like we try and keep some fluidity and some like, you know, room for, for, for change and for little bits to be different night to night um, to just to give it that spark of moment to moment to make it fun every time, I think, for both of you as well. And especially because Belle is quite amazing at improv yeah. <laughs> and so i would prefer to just stick to the script but bell's really good at just coming up with one-liners on the go and so i'm always like oh okay and trying to hit back how as best i can <laughs> it's interesting because dirt was very much like that you did each each night slightly differently yeah. but i just want to focus on this um interpretation versus impersonation thing it sounds like mm. you started off wanting to impersonate mm-hmm. and you've grown into interpreting the mm. characters is that a fair comment that is a, a spot on, yeah. It it was originally how, how close can we get to mimicking these two people? And then uh, at one point it just became more interesting to see more about them. You know, you try and get the voice as close as possible and we try to get the look as, as right as, and, you know, make sure the audience can recognize who they're watching. But then at some point you do have to take a few liberties and, you know, as I said, so... Almost all of the play takes place behind closed doors. Mm. So the people we are, you know, Julia speaks one way in public and that's what we I have to go off as an actor is I can listen to her speeches and I can listen um, to her debates. But then there would be a way that she talks to Tim that would be so intimate and... Um, it's, it's quite fun figuring out what that might be. Well, and at some point you have to sort of like take this creative leap when you're playing real people as well, because otherwise you can get too rigid and stuck in like what actually happened yeah. and how they moved their face in this speech. It's like, it gets a bit boring. Like you kind of have to take a bit of a leap and, and bring yourself to it. And, you know, as anyone who's seen the Snatch game on RuPaul's Drag Race <laughs> knows, some of the best characters are nothing like the person they're actually playing. It's just like bringing yourself and your own sense of humor into it with the, you know, the peppered in those, those bits of character. I think is what is the funnest thing to watch. Even though the impersonations are spot on. Spot on. (laughs) (laughs) But the voice, Julia Gillard's voice would have been incredibly difficult to even try and copy. So I imagine that you don't. 
Well, you uh, do. No, I, I give it a fair go, actually. <laughs> wow. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty spot on. Did that take much practice? Uh, yeah, a lot of practice, just a lot of mimicking. Like I've always been a bit of a parrot, so I just tried to give it, give it a go. And then, I I mean, we did a whole season where it was shaky quakey. Like it was, (laughs) it was in and out. I got a review that said neither actor have the talent for impersonation. That's not true. It was never that shaky. Your impersonation was always pretty spot on. Well, when I, when we got that review, um, when then Belle came aboard, I became, so determined to nail the impersonation so yeah it gets but then as we just said like that was for a while there was there was a few months there where i was just so dog-headed about trying to get it all right and then we realized that it's not fun if that's all it's about so we've kind of just let that go now there is enough of it there you spent months behind closed doors before anyone heard it (laughs) yeah just walking to work every day at 6am just like muttering away to myself my name is Julia Gillard and I'm Australian (laughs) and that would have been a great way to do it actually like that kind of you know going into your own world Mm. while you're walking but also the acoustics being outdoors yeah Yeah. well and that's the thing is because at 6am in winter it's quite dark and no one's around so you can kind of just (laughs) yell to high heavens well and in the theatre there's like these women don't talk that loud you know I I guess in question time yes but you know in interviews and stuff you know they speak very professionally and softly but in the theatre you kind of like what's it like if they are on voice filling a space the whole time it's a bit different Mm. so it's just like letting that be a part of it and like you know it's, it's not there are now bits in Pats that I don't even think are real to Julia, but to me they are. They're so Julia. <laughs> yeah, and they should be. Like, I think Julia could take a few notes. <laughs> so you premiered the show in Adelaide. That's the hometown. Well, yeah. Julia Gillard's adopted hometown. And Julie and Bishop's, yeah. Julie Bishop's oh, yeah. hometown. Was that, was that intentional? Um, no. So we actually, the kind of initial season of the show was here in Melbourne, but we, we've called that a development season because the show really was still just figuring out what it was. Yeah. We then went through a really heavy period of development um, where Belle came on board and that was actually during the 2019-2020 bushfires. So we were going to rehearsals every day um, with the, that was when the Melbourne streets were covered in, there was just smoke everywhere. Mm. And so that really coloured that development period. A lot of the scripts took a real U-turn because suddenly there was this real frustration um in the streets about like, what are we doing about the climate crisis? Like we're just sleepwalking into the future and there is literal smoke in the streets. Like the country's on fire. And so that really added this element of rage to it. We then took that show to Perth. It did better. It was close to what we wanted, but then we had a final development before Adelaide. And that was, that's why we call that the premiere season because that's when it had really hit its stride. Um, and no, it was just total coincidence. Well, I'm from Adelaide, and so I always put up shows in, for the Adelaide Fringe, but that's kind of where the show came from is because I first had the idea of sitting on the bus thinking about Julie Gillard and Julie Bishop writing each other these emails in Parliament House, and then the more I thought about it, the more I realised how much of a perfect dramatic pairing they were because they're both from Adelaide, mm. but they have these mirrored experiences, you know, Julie Bishop was from a wealthy family where they have this orchard that's been handed down for generations. She was a head girl at a private school. She then went into corporate law. You know, she climbed through the ranks. Julia Gillard is from a migrant family from Wales, um, went to a public school, was head girl at a public school, then went into um, union movement and was a lawyer there. And so they've both done such similar things, but on complete ends of uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. And so that was where the idea really took off for this kind of odd couple pairing. Mm. 
Will, have you toyed with the idea of asking Tony Abbott or Kevin Rudd along ah! to the production? <laughs> we should invite all of them. I mean, we haven't, but maybe we should. We should invite everyone along. Definitely. <laughs> we'll just do a special performance for Parliament. Yeah, I mean, the, all, all of your favourites do make an appearance in the show, so I don't know. Greatest I, hits, it, really. It'd be it'd be interesting having them there. I don't know if they'd be very happy with all the portrayals, <laughs> but get Kevin along. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that Penny Wong's staff went along without her yeah. yeah i'm again i'm sure penny's very busy yeah. uh but the staff came along and the funniest thing was they there was a bunch of the big group of her staff came they all said how much they loved her and then they were asking us how we knew about certain relationships in politics and we had no idea what they were talking about but apparently our just like fanciful imagina- imagine imaginations had hit upon exact kind of dynamics between certain people that we thought were just funny but were actually very true to Which life ones? Yeah, like what? They, they didn't reveal. Oh. Yeah. Oh. It's up to the, it's a, you have to come along and figure it out. Maybe you could actually follow that up with them. Yeah, we no, well, I tried, but they were very tight-lipped. Mm. <laughs> well, they let the cat out of the bag. They did, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so give us the details so people can rock along. So we open July 28th at Gasworks Arts Park in Albert Park, and then we're on for two weeks, closing on August 6th. 6th. <laughs> what time are we on, did you say? 7.30 p.m., yeah. yeah. Patrick Livesey and Will King, congratulations on Gone Girls and thank you so much for joining me today on 3CR. Thank, thank you so you. much. You are on In Your Face on 3CR and here's Lady Gaga. But if I'm gonna go for it I'll remember that, that I I'm 
from Regurgitator. Stay tuned to 3CR, support community radio and your local music scene and subscribe now.
totally enormous extinct dinosaur there, your love. You are an in-your-face on 3CR with James. 3CR Stop digging in the dirt Cause all you're putting down is my confidence Always preparing for the worst Why do you do it? You almost blew it Always pulling it apart And now we'll see myself
vague there, covering the cure, All Cats Are Grey. We also heard from Beck Sandridge with her new single, Cost of Love. And we do have Beck on the line. Beck, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. I love the Cost of Love. It's such a kind of poppy Shania Twain track. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> it's interesting, actually, because I was thinking about the title and I thought, yeah, Beck's right, there is a Cost of Love. Um, tell us about it. <laughs> what is the cost of love? I feel like I'm still figuring that out a little bit, but um, I don't know. I think at the time I was kind of in a relationship where I felt like I was losing the essence of who I am and vice versa um, for my partner at the time. So I think, um, 
yeah, it's kind of a push and pull of, you know, working out what makes you happy and um, remaining true to who you are, I guess. Yeah. So there's a bit of heartbreak in there, even though it's got that great kind of gloss pop sound. Yes, there's the, the classic singer-songwriter trope, heartbreak and then writing a song. <laughs> so I hadn't actually heard of the term gloss pop until I was reading your bio and you were talking about how your first album, you know, it didn't quite capture the gloss pop sound that you wanted. Uh, your upcoming EP has. Tell us about gloss pop. How would you define it? <laughs> um, it's a good question. I should probably ring in the person who wrote my bio, my manager. <laughs> but, um, uh, I don't know. I think, uh, to be honest, like I, I wrote the song in the EP in my friend's apartment and I think we were just kind of trying to make something really cheap sound expensive. So it was kind of just lacquering a song with that kind of poppy glossiness. Um, but I, I don't really know how to define it. I guess it's just something that's pretty straight up and down, bang on the nose, a pop song. It's interesting when songs kind of arrive, isn't it? It sounds like, you know, was this song planned? I mean, you were writing it in your friend's apartment. It sounds like there was a bit of randomness to it. Yeah, I mean, Dave and Lucy, they are amazing musicians and songwriters in their in their own right. So I guess with that, there's, you know, there was some planning around it. But um, I think for the first time, it was kind of writing with intention, but there were a lot of and chicken and really laid back kind of having lunch breaks and it was very uh, DIY in, in a sense, I guess. Um, so a lot of intention but a lot of sitting on the hip at the same time. So it sounds like it was a pretty chilled space that you were in when you were writing the EP. Um, interesting title, Lost Dog. Tell us about what happened. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like um, the whole EP kind of encapsulates a period of my life where I felt like I was a bit of a lost dog. Um, and so I guess um, it is quite literal in that sense. And at the time also I had a dog with my ex-partner, so I lost that one too. So um, it seemed somewhat fitting and tongue-in-cheek and all of those things. Um but yeah, I don't know. I just kind of I wrote that phrase down um, when I was writing the EP, and it just kind of stuck with me throughout the writing process. And I think thematically, it kind of does tie in all of the songs. You've got some co- great collaborations on this EP. I mean, you mentioned Dave Jenkins Jr., Lucy Taylor, but you've got Andy Bull, Jeff Swan, Japanese Wallpaper, Rosie Fitzgerald, Dawny Mays, Tony Buchan. It's um, it's quite a cast of people helping you out. Yeah, I mean, I feel so, so lucky. Um, and I think one of the coolest things is a lot of the people on the EP were there from the beginning and have kind of come it's a bit of a full circle moment where Tony Buchan he he produced my first ever EP and he kind of jumped on for additional production and Gab Strum of Japanese Wallpaper did additional production on my um, debut album and um, Andy Bull of course was someone that I used to listen to on my blue iPod in high school so um, there's a lot of people that I have such great respect for and who I think are 
we geniuses. So, um, uh, yeah, I just kind of reached out to a lot of them and asked them to come in and have a play and um, so much of it just stuck and felt right. So, um, yeah, it's been a real treat of having amazing brains on the EP but also just great people. And that must have meant a lot when you reached out and they said, yes, we want to do this. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I feel so lucky. So it sounds like um, your upcoming EP, it's out October 7, Lost Dog. It sounds like this this whole production means a lot to you. And it sounds like you're really, really happy with it, much happier than what you were with your previous album. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, I think um, it's always hindsight, isn't it? Like, I think um, I was, was and still am so proud of my debut album, um, but it's always, you know, how can you push it a little bit closer to who you are and how can you um, create a greater peep into your own brain through a song? Um, and I think we got that little bit closer than the, the album did. Um, but um, both I'm, yeah, incredibly proud of. Both are released independently and um, have a, an amazing team around it, um, which is something that I feel... Yeah, incredibly stoked to have happened. Um, yeah. and, and releasing it independently gives you that kind of, you know, visceral hands-on kind of input into your own work, which I think is really important. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've kind of, you know, mapped up everything from the pressure to the, you know, the visuals on everything, the sounds and um, who's playing on the record and um, from everything, from how everything sounds to looks to you know, who is bringing my songs into radio. It's all been hand-picked, which um, is tapping into my control freak side, but also, you know, just keeping everything really human and um, personable, I think, is important um, and kind of hard to do. Um, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of brave. Like, you know, I wouldn't necessarily thought that you were a control freak, but if you are, <laughs> to be collaborating with all these people, that's kind of a brave act because you've got to put your faith in them and kind of let go a bit. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think control freak's the wrong word. I think maybe uh, just being particular and intentional um, is so important to do because I think in the music industry or any industry, so many people can tell you what will make you happy and what will make you proud. But, um, you know, for me, when it boils down to it, just working with great people who I trust and who trust me too is the most important thing. So I think we've we've done that as a, as a team, yeah. It sounds to me like lockdown kind of helped you put this album together in the way that you want to. Uh, it sounds like it gave you that time and that space just to focus on things yourself. Yeah, for sure. I think um, for the first time, my, my manager, Denise, was kind of like, just take time to make sure you're 100% happy with everything. And we really did take our time. Um, and COVID kind of facilitated that extra breathing space and during that time, I also, you know, worked on a bunch of other projects which influenced the EP from, you know, writing my first ever score for a theatre production to studying music therapy and kind of just understanding music from a different lens. Um, those kind of things have all seeped into this um, project, which is cool, just being open to having other things influence um, the songs and um, the project overall. 
Studying music therapy sounds like a great thing to do for a songwriter, especially when you're going through breakups or, or reflecting on them and writing about them. That's That must give you a really kind of you know unique perspective that a lot of songwriters don't have because you've actually formally studied music therapy. Yeah, I mean, I've been specifically working in a dementia ward, which has been, um, you know, pretty wild. Um, but, but I think the thing that I've kind of taken away from it has been there is such, of course, like a universality to our experiences. And as much as I am adding to the pile of heartbreak songs, you know, there's a reason why these songs kind of exist and transcend over time and bring back memories for people's dementia or, um, you know, even younger people. Um, and um, I guess my goal is to kind of help also write songs that soundtrack other people's lives as much as my own. Um so yeah, it's been been such a treat. Um, sitting on the other side of music, where I'm not uh, thinking about my own feelings and just hearing other people's stories and how they relate to songs. Yeah, that must give you real empathy as a songwriter. Yeah, or yeah, I think so. I think um, yeah, it's just it's just a different seat in the car, I guess. Like. It's kind of hopping into the passenger seat or the back seat and just letting other people drive in a way, yeah. Maybe maybe that is uh, what empathy is. <laughs> and considering all of that and looking at, at, at your, your work on the Dementia Ward, you know, your, your work, you know, studying music therapy and then putting together your own musical score, that's a real skill set. Tell us about this musical score. To be honest, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, I kind of just guessed a lot of it. And maybe more so, like, I was just putting on a different hat and becoming a big kid. Like, the the theatre production, it's called Ishmael. It's a take on Moby Dick with a female protagonist um, called Ishmael. And um, it's about flying to space. And so I was kind of writing a soundtrack of, you know, everything in the world is ending and she's wanting to space to escape. And so I was kind of visualising what the sounds of spaceships sound like with a synth or guitars and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I was just a big kid and had a bunch of instruments in my room and kind of plonked them into a Ableton recording session and somehow put it together with 17 songs, which... You know, in hindsight, again, like I feel so so proud of that. But um, it was such a great team of people who also helped me get that over the line. Which, yeah, I just feel like I've had a pretty lucky run. What a wondrously creative journey to go on, putting all that together. Yeah, it was it was the best. I loved it. I want to do another one. Fantastic. Now I've got to ask you about live shows. Uh, what's happening on that front? We're, I've got a new band, Cat Nasty. We're all, all gals hitting the road um, this August and we're visiting Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Canberra. Um, I think we're doing the Social Club in Melbourne, Mary's Underground in Sydney, New Sea Hub and then Black Bear Lodge in Brisbane. Wow. Um, Fantastic. So can't wait. It's going to be the first time we kind of road test all of the EP, which is half... 
anxiety-provoking, half exciting. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that'll give you more insights, I guess, about the songs as well and, and also give you a springboard for, for other works. Um, anything else in the pipeline? Uh, I mean, you must be writing songs all the time. Well, yeah, I had a writing session today with my band, which was really fun. And um, I'm kind of, at the moment, just finishing off album number two. So that's exciting. And then we're hitting Europe, um, which is to be announced. Um, uh, I think we're hitting Europe at the end of the year, which will be good. And then hopefully some more touring here. Oh, wow. So going to Europe, can you tell us where? At the moment, uh, (laughs) I don't know if I'm at space, but whatever, we're here. Um, (laughs) uh, We're doing Germany and Amsterdam and all throughout the UK, um, which is exciting. Absolutely. Well, Beck, it's been an absolute joy chatting with you on 3CR today. I love the cost of love and I love your journey uh, and just all the uh, kind of, you know, creativity you've kind of unearthed from yourself and your wonderful collaborations. It's really, really brilliant and very inspiring. Thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. Can't wait to hear the EP Lost Dog, which is out October 7th. Oh, thank you so much for having me and hope to see you soon. Absolutely. Take care. Cheers. All right, thank you. The wonderful Beck Sandridge there. I am out of here. Jacob is up next with a Friday rave. We will catch you next week on In Your Face. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities. A future without HIV and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.